Welcome to the Living Ageless and Bold podcast. I'm your host, Christina Daves, and in each episode, I bring you amazing women who inspire, educate, and share their experiences and journeys along the way. So grab a glass of wine or a cup of coffee, find a cozy spot, and let's relax and have some fun hearing what can be accomplished after 55. Hi, everybody. So excited about our guest today. She is a very old, dear friend. I think we were, we became friends when she launched this company. So, and I'm just going to dive right in because there's so much we're going to talk about. So welcome Kay Bransford of Memory Bank. How are you, Kay? I am good. Thanks for having me. And yes, we did meet when we, when I was launching this business. Yes. Yeah. So 10, 11, 12 years ago. It's just now 11 years. Wow. Wow. So I want you to tell everybody what Memory Bank is because I remember when you had this idea and you started talking about it, a million light bulbs went off for me thinking, oh my God, I never thought about that. But you're absolutely right. So let's talk about what Memory Bank is. Yes. So Today, <laughs> yeah. memory bank. Yeah. In this iteration, <laughs> yes. Today, we help individuals, families, solar agers manage and organize their finances for the day to day bills, help them with scam and fraud avoidance, or power of attorney trustee for individuals that need some help around the day to day finances. So that's what we are today. It's certainly not exactly what I started as, but it came out of my journey with my own family. Right. And talk about that because that's when we met, when you went through this with your own parents. Yes. So my parents had planned really well and they had the estate plans, the financial plans, insurance, everything was taken care of. They bought into a retirement community. But when they started to have some health issues and theirs was more around cognitive, making it even more difficult, we, I'm one of four kids and I'm the baby of the family. We really didn't know how to help them because none of their finances or their day-to-day money issues were really organized. My dad had a business. My mom had a business. They had a townhouse. They lived in a retirement community. So there was lots of bills to manage and we just didn't even know where to start. It was so overwhelming. And that's really when I started to feel like, a total adult child failure for my parents. <laughs> but I remember when all of that happened. And like you said, your parents were vibrant. They had everything in order. You know, like so many of our parents do. I know my mom is the same way. She's like, I've got everything written down for you. But then when you have the cognitive issues that can happen very quickly, you have this, oh, crap moment. Like, how do you keep it all together? Right. And that was the hard part is that they really couldn't help us like know, well, what's this? Where's that? And in their mind, everything was taken care of. No, we did all that. But we just kept seeing cracks in the facade where water would get shut off and things weren't getting paid. So we were trying to traverse this time when it nothing was really clear for them or for us and how we could help and support them. But I learned an awful lot on that journey. (laughs) So what can we do as adult children of aging parents? Like you said, the water was turned off. How do we insert ourselves into their daily, you know, the day-to-day routine? You're thinking they're okay, but the water got shut off. Right. I think how, what I did learn is that you don't take, you don't march in and take things over. Yes. You go in and you just show up as the adult child and go like, Hey, how can I help you? I'm here. What's going on? Let's make that phone call. So I think it's really just how do you have an adult 
to adult relationship with your family. So they really understand that you're there to help. You're not there to take things over. You're not pushing them out of the way and you're not taking away away their ability to manage their own money. That's really what you need to do. But you have seen a lot of scams, a lot of, you know, we, we do get older and our parents are alone and talk about some of the things that you've seen and some of the things to, to alert us on, to keep an eye out with our parents. Right. So I would say the first, and this is, it's interesting because the first thing that I really walked into and noticed with my parents was they used to give money every, after every January, they would donate money to their charities and they would go through Charity Navigator and they were very thoughtful about how much they gave and they would pick them all out. And I started seeing them write checks every month to different charities and I'd start to see the mail pile up in the house. So in some ways, what happens is you give to one charity. And if you've ever looked at a charity notice, you see that it says, thank you for your pledge. They do the assumptive close. They make people believe they've already promised them money, which when I'd ask, like, what is this charity? My parents couldn't even tell me what that charity did. So they started to write checks to all these different charities. That was what I first noticed. And I got really mad. (laughs) Were they real charities or were they facades? Some of them were real charities. I mean, they are bona fide, great charities. They do great work, but they typically hire, what I learned later is they typically hire marketing agencies and companies to help beef up their donations. So they use a lot of direct marketing tactics and they write in a letter like you've already pledged. And if especially to an older generation, if they think they've promised you money, they're going to send you money. So they started writing money to these charities. And as soon as you give to one, they sell your name to all the other ones or the charity that the marketing agency gives it to the other ones. So the mail just becomes voluminous and it's horrific. And it still goes on today, unfortunately. So one of the things that I remember vividly, and I learned so much from you over the years as you experienced this with your parents, but you lost your parents kind of quickly back to back. But the things that were in place, the power of attorney, and they thought that they had, you know, dotted all the I's and crossed all the T's. But then in reality, even though you have that, it really isn't everything you need. Right. So the hard part is, and I'm, I do this for other clients now. So I know most banks make it really difficult to accept a power of attorney. So walking into a bank, especially as an adult child is a red flag. And they first, they send it to their back office. It took over like five months for them to accept our powers of attorney. And it kind of just became a default because I kept showing up every week saying, you need to accept my power of attorney. So it's really hard because you have all these legal papers in place, but that's not the practical way things work. So I always tell people what we did is we ended around the systems. We set up online access and we used the our parents wanted us to be their power of attorney. They wanted us to be able to help them. So we kind of end around the systems and started doing things on their behalf online. Because when you try to go into the bank and show all the financial institutions your powers, it takes a really long time and it's very aggravating. And they, the people that you're working with don't know what they're doing. It just goes off to a back office and it goes into a black hole. So what do you recommend? I know my mother-in-law passed away in the last year and my husband was online on her bank account and his sister was on certain accounts. So they could check to make sure the bills are being paid. But also when she did pass, he had full access. 
Uh, but I remember we had talked something about there could be tax ramifications because I said, oh, I want to put my son on our account. So if something happens, he can still pay the bills. But there were some issues with that. Right. So what's hard is that you, when you walk into the bank, a lot of times they'll say, well, just put them, just add them to your bank account. So if you have a joint bank account with someone, so I think in that case you got added. So it would say, you know, your mom's name and your name. So your joint account holders. So you get those assets when she passes, it immediately goes to you because it's a joint account. However, if someone comes after you or you get sued, it's considered your money. It's considered your asset. So you're actually saying that person owns that bank account too. So there can be complications with listing someone as a joint bank account holder. You both have to be there to make any changes to the account if you wanted to make changes. So you want to go in and be set up as POA on the account, not a joint bank account holder. So if you can do, that's the better option. So you can forget the one piece of paper that makes you the power of attorney for everything. You can go to the bank and be the power of attorney just on the bank accounts. Correct. The bank will give you a power of attorney form. They'll take it right away. They'll add you right away. And they'll say POA or agent. And they can add you as an agent on the account. But you have to go with the individual whose account it is. Okay. Brilliant. See, I knew. That's why I wanted to have you on. Because every time I talk to you, I learn something else and I go do it. It's like we, because, you know, you want to. I mean, we're in our mid 50s. We think everything's okay. You know, we want to have the things in place for our kids, our adult children, and then still dealing with our parents. Well, the sandwich generation. So if you were to give us the top three things. So, so Christina, right now today, I want you to call your mother and I want you to ask or do these three things. What's the most important thing to do today, immediately? Right. So that's a tough one because when you call and ask them for things like put me on your bank account or make me your POA, let's go set those things up. Like you could do that, but a lot of times it immediately creates fear. So in some ways, I usually say to call and say, hey, we're redoing our estate plans. What should we be doing is can you go to them with an ask and have them tell you what do you think we need to do so that we're prepared if something happens? So first, I would open the door up by asking, what should I be doing? Ask them to consult with you and or having a news story about someone that ha something happened to someone that you know, like there's an event and you can say, this happened, this is what the family did, maybe we should do that now. So use something in a conversational tone because at least I found out with my parents and I've noticed this with many clients is if you go in asking for something like give me access to your bank account or add me to your bank account, anytime there's money, fear immediately comes, swells up. So I think some of it is when they ask for help, just show up and say, how do you want me to help you? Instead of asking them to give you access to something. So, so there's a very different answer than what you're expecting. <laughs> but I think it's like thinking of the human side of it. What do they want? How do they want you to help? Well, what about questions to ask them to make sure, hey, mom, I was, I was talking to my friend Kay. I listened to this podcast on, you know, living ageless and bold about parents and finances. And I just wondered, do you have these things in place? Yes. I mean, I think it could be just asking them, you know what, if you fell and you got hurt, where would you go? Is there, do you ha have you already signed up for a retirement community? Is there a place that you would want to go do 
rehab because you would probably need some support services to get back on your feet so you could come home. Have you ever considered that? So I would ask open-ended questions like that and see like, so that is one of them. Another one could be like, what would you want to happen if they're married? You know, what happens if you lose a spouse? How would you like us to help you? You know, I know this is in the future. So if there's a way to make it conversationally, like 20 years from now, should this happen? What might you want to do and make it more of a conversation? So I think those are the biggest things is just opening a dialogue to ask them, what would you want to happen if this event occurred? And what do you recommend with step parents? You know, we live in that generation where many of our parents are remarried and we, you know, there are step siblings involved. How do you broach that conversation? You know, they've got their own kids. It's your mom or your dad married to them just to make sure that everything's taken care of in the event that it's your parent who passes first. Right. Oh, that's a great question because I'm seeing that a lot more. There's a lot of older couples that have, they have different children, different adult children, you know, that have been in their lives for 20, 30 years. And in many cases, it depends on, I think you should ask that your parent, how are you managing your finances now? Have you divvied them up? So in most cases, I walk into this, they each have joint bank or they have individual bank accounts that are joint. You know, mom's does this one and she pays X. Dad's does this one. Stepdad does this one. So, so they divide and conquer their money and just say, how have you divvied that up? If something were to happen to you, how could I help you on your bank account? Does your spouse know how to manage this? Because typically when they're coming together later, they're keeping their stuff independent but separate because they do want it to flow to adult children differently. So I think it's that's a great time to ask and have them bring you in because it's really can be really complicated. And you bring up an excellent point that it's really important to know your state laws. I lost my father very young. I was an adult, but a young adult. And he was in the process of a divorce and he had left everything to me and my sister, all of his possessions. But in the state of Florida, you weren't allowed to do that, that everything had to go to your spouse, even though they were in the process of a divorce. So even though you want to leave things for your kids, how do you, I mean, I guess you go to an attorney to just really make sure that the laws in your state will allow you to do what you want to do. Yes. So, and that's kind of a great segue to a common thing that's coming up now is in general, most people should be considering a trust because a trust gets the power of attorney is kind of a moot point. It's not for really wealthy people. A trust is really a way for you to dictate how you would provide access to someone to your money and what they should do with your money. So in general, a trust is now modern incapacity planning, and it lets you and the trustees manage how the money works. And it can also help mitigate these issues across borders. It allows money to pass more easily and skip probate. So there's many benefits to it, but I would start with going to an elder law attorney. And I know it's we're using the word elder law, but they are really good at understanding about how you would manage your money in an incapacity. And so I think that's kind of what this comes down to is most people don't think about this, but seven out of 10 of us after the age of 60 are likely to have three or more years of an incapacity. 
So most of us are going to have a long-term incapacity. And so you have to start doing things now to plan for it. And the shocking thing is when I started looking at the data, actually between 55 and 65 is the biggest percentage of us that have some ter- some form of short-term healthcare disability, 55 to 65. Mm-hmm. Wow. And you think now we're at our healthiest and <laughs> I'm hoping that's just like a tennis injury or <laughs> a pickleball. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, this is, it's really fascinating. And one thing that's really important that you said, and I really want to reiterate that because we recently did a trust and normally you think that tr- a trust is for the wealthy. It's kind of where you're going to hide your money, but What you're really explaining to us is a trust is a place to really protect your assets and make sure they get to the people you want them to go to. Right. Well, it's not even to go to in general because you can, when you set up your trust, you're basically saying is here's how you're going to use my money to help me if I can't speak. If I can't tell you how to control my money, I'm putting rules around it. So for instance, as power of attorney, if I'm stepping in for someone, I can do whatever I want with the money. Because the thought is that person has given me the ability to speak for them. So I can do with their money what I want to. In the trust, there's rules around it. So I'm not a lawyer. So I hope you understand with that part. (laughs) Not giving legal advice. Go to a lawyer and have this discussion. But it helps you have more control around what happens with your money when it needs to start being used for you while you're living. And then it does manage and make things easier after death, for sure. Okay. Fascinating. So now, so we've kind of got our parents taken care of. We're going to have these great conversations with them. And, but now for our age, we have adult children. So what should we have in place now while we're still active and doing things and even traveling with them? But what do we need to have kind of, you know, tucked away in our safe or to make sure that they're taken care of and that they don't have this, you know, chaotic headache if something were to happen to us sooner rather than later? Yeah. So the, I mean, to me, and don't even put it in the safe because half the time people won't be able to get into your safe. So I will just say what we do in my family is my family all knows on my, where on my, in my office is all the usernames and passcodes to all of my accounts information that I've set up. So they can always go and get online access to anything they need to pay the bills or manage finances. I also made a map of all of our money so they can see where all of our accounts are, how they're titled, and how all of our money works together. And so in general, I'll go through that once a year. It's usually my daughter knows because she's going to remember and pay more attention to it. (laughs) So, I mean, it's just been in general, I'm trying to just have an open conversation with our family about here's our money, here's our finances, here's where you need to go if you need to step in and help us. And so I think that's what's different about our generation is that there was a silent generation where you didn't talk about money, you didn't discuss it. Now we're realizing you really need to talk about it now. People need to know what you're doing, how you're using it. Now, I know that's troublesome for a lot of families because they have people in their life they can't trust to step in. And I mean, unfortunately, I'd say half of our businesses with families that don't can't trust their adult children So figure out who will you name, who will help you if you need someone to step in and help pay your bills. That's really scary, Kay. How much of that do you see where the kind of the adult child swoops in and, you know, is getting mom and dad's stuff before before they're entitled to it? Yeah. So unfortunately, the good news is we don't see that a lot because in general, they're bringing us in going, we can't 
trust our adult children to come in and do this for us. Or I would say, you know, 51% of Americans now are solo agers, so they don't have anyone. So they're hiring us to be their professional adult child to step in and manage their affairs for them. So I don't, I hear stories about that and there's, you hear stories all the time, but we don't see it as much because we're usually involved on the other side of it. They either knew in advance or they didn't have children, so they bring us in. But we do know when you listen or you read any of these stories in the news, it happens way more than we want to know. We want to, you know, it's awful. Do you ever have trouble where somebody with kids has hired you and then the kids are like, oh no, we've got this. We'll take care of it. No. So yes and no. I will answer the two ways. One, in general, so I'm a trustee for many trusts that have adult children. And so we had this discussion before it happened. Now I'm the trustee. I work with them. We talk about it because there's implications to the money that they're getting. So we do a lot of like, let's talk to your financial advisor and help with tax planning so we can help with the kids. So we're really like the trusted aunt I will say is that's kind of my role is we're helping them in that way. And then, but I would say on the other side of it, it helps to have a bigger discussion first and go through what's going to happen when. So everybody knows the role that's going to happen. So I think, I know you had a part two to that question. So I'm trying to remember what that was. Yeah. What was that? Because you talk and my brain keeps spinning forward. Yeah. Yeah. I know. It, it creates so many other parts of it. Right, it's like, right. so So it isn't a big issue when there is kids because we're usually a resource for them. Okay. Part two of it is we love it when we start with a family. So there's a c- catastrophic event. They're all focused on the health. And so we come in and they're like, but we don't know how to pay. So we do often jump in and we help them pay bills and we help figure out where all the money is because the kids don't know. I am never happier. And I tell my everyone on my team in our agency that I love it when we can turn uh, the cleaned up mess over to the adult children. I love it when there's family they trust and they want to step in and help. Sometimes they feel guilty and they don't want their kids to do it, but the kids want to do it. They want to be part of it. They want to support their parents. So we love it when we can see, when we can hand everything over in a cleaned up situation to the adult children. Well, and it sounds like for everybody listening and watching our homework is to put all of our stuff together. And I've been saying that to my husband for years. Like I did put his fingerprint on my computer. I'm like, good luck. Like at least you can get all my passwords off of this. But I think it is really important to to lay all that out. I don't even know for sure that I know everything that our family has. You know, there's some stuff I take care of, some stuff my husband takes care of, but really, and he's the organized one. So I know his stuff is all, like you said, in a file. I know where the file is, but me on the other hand. So what do you recommend there? I guess the, the husband and the wife just need to sit down, spend an afternoon and just lay it all out. Yeah. I, and I have a white paper. I did a do it now kit where it's really like the three things you need to organize and write down. And it's your passcodes. It's the financial roadmap. And it's like the key people, the key information about your own personal information that you do. So it takes an hour if you did it together. So I'm always happy to share that free resource with people. It's super easy to do, but it's a good conversation for couples to have because, you know, there's always an outlier. Is is that easy for how do they get to that white paper? So if you go to memorybank.com, I'll just put a link up on our homepage where they can go grab it and download that. It's free. You don't need to do anything. I'll just put it up there. Yeah. And I actually took my phone and went through the house because I know 
many of us our ages, our parents passed, there are antiques and this and that, that they want us to keep forever. And our generation is simplifying. And, you know, it was like, we don't want that. Do you want that? We don't want that. So I kind of went through and said, you know, this is important. Like this is your great, great grandmother's China from, you know, the it's antique China from the railway because your great, great grandfather was an executive, you know, keep that China. If you can, don't give this away. But I think that's pretty helpful when you can go through a house and pull out the 10 things that really matter to the family that you want to hand down versus good luck, go through and, you know, I want you to keep everything. Yes. For sure. And well, I think that's the harder part is I hear so many people when they're downsizing, they're like, my kids don't want it. No, they don't want it. They already have their stuff. So make sure you have a place for it and don't keep it because they might not want it. Right. Right. Okay. Any other homework? I've definitely have my, that's probably the most important thing is just to sit down and get all those. And for, you know, older adults listening, make sure you have that all together for your adult children. So in the event something happens, it's something that's easy to find. Yeah. I, I think that is, it's just have like, where could I get that? How could I help you? And I think that what's interesting to me is like, the, there's a generation that never had email. Like, I don't even know how they're managing today's society because social security, everybody makes you go online. All the government agencies are requiring you have a mobile phone and an email address and they don't have them. So maybe it's, if you do have someone that's, you know, in their late seventies and eighties, reach out and go like, gosh, you know, how are you doing with taxes? Did you get your social security statement? How can I help you? You know, because I know the online world is really confusing to a lot of people. And on top of that, then, you know, how can we help them with the scams that are from online? So somebody who's not used to it anyway, and then they see, I know we got one of those emails on a couple of years ago, my aunt and my cousin were traveling and I got an email that was like, Hey, are, you know, you've seen this, our passports were stolen, blah, blah, blah. And the only reason I knew it wasn't them is I called my sister because my sister and my cousin are pretty close. And I said, did she send that to you? And my sister said, no. And I said, oh, because she would have done my sister first and then me. So that the first thing I did is I called my mom and I said, if you get this email from her, it's not her. Like, don't fall for this. But it was pretty well written and they knew their itinerary, which was really scary. Like we just landed here. We were on our way here. This happened. So how do we help our parents with that kind of stuff? So I think that is a great question. And there's, I mean, I'm happy to say I know RP is really trying to do a lot of languaging and education around the topic because these people are criminals and we need to use that language, right? Don't, I think it's even, they're not just fraudsters and scammers. These people are criminals and they're trying to take your money from you and they're very convincing. And so if you hear some of the stories, like they're heartbreaking and they're afraid to tell their family members because they don't want judgment from their family members. So I would just say start having discussions about these, throw them in a dinner conversation, start educating them because the more they know and they hear how this is happening to other families, it will help. And RP has a podcast that is really good about that, about all these financial scams. And I mean, there was one recently that devastated me about funeral, like funeral plans and what they were doing. So it's just pervasive. And the more we know, the more we can help. And maybe even telling them, I know like through my husband's company, they had, I mean, they 
somebody in the office fell for something and it happens a lot, maybe to say, hey, don't be embarrassed. It's happened to all of us. Like they're so good. These criminals are so good. We're all falling for it. So we just want to make sure that if you're worried or maybe you did do something, don't be embarrassed. Don't be, just let me know so we can stop it, you know, so before it goes any further. Right. And I think that's the best part is we're recognizing they're criminals and they did nothing wrong. They're really convincing. I'm sorry that this happened. How, let me help you. Right. Okay. Always such... Like I said, every time I talk to you, we're friends. I have these aha moments of things I need to do. So we wrap up every episode with two questions. We ask the same people. What is your greatest accomplishment since you've turned 50? I will say I'm most proud of this business that and how I've been able to grow it, bring other professionals and figure out how to find people that want to help other people manage their finances. So I think that's my biggest accomplishment in my 50s is being able to turn this business into something that's helping hundreds of families. Right. Right. It's amazing. And even just not the ones you're helping, you know, one-on-one, but doing something like this and providing so much information to listeners, just amazing. Okay. Number two, where do you see yourself in 10 years? Ooh, that's a great question. So one of the questions I had answers was, what was my biggest fear? And it's, I don't want to retire. That word frightens the bejesus out of me. I think the word should be requirement. I heard this from someone else. I'm stealing someone else's word that they used. But I think it's to always have meaning and purpose in my life. So I don't mind. I don't think about what it's going to be, what exactly I'm going to be doing in 10 years. I hope to continue to be growing and doing and helping more families in the way that I'm doing it now and making sure that my children and everyone around me has the tools they need to live a great life going on. So to me, it's just always finding meaning and purpose in my day. I love that. And I'm with you. I'm not retiring either. What did you call that? Repriorment. You're reprioritizing your time. I love that. For meaning around your meaning and purpose. Okay. Well, whoever you stole it from, I'm stealing it from you now. I love that. So thank you, everyone. Check out Memory Bank. See what Kay is doing. You know, take care of your parents, take care of yourself, take care of your children. And thanks for joining us, Kay. Thanks for having me. Great to be here. Thank you for listening or for watching this episode of Living Ageless and Bold. If you haven't already, please make sure you hit subscribe. And if you like the episode, I hope that you will give us a great review. You can also head over to livingagelessandbold.com and sign up for information, inspiration, and exclusive opportunities for us, women over 55. Thanks for listening. And remember, no matter what you do, keep living ageless and bold. Bold.